welcome to another session of On the Couch from Marcus Today with myself, Henry Jennings. And as usual, with all the podcast information that we provide here, it is general advice only. So please do your own research. Contact your own financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts, ideas, or insights in this podcast. And please, uh, it is general advice only. Today, I'm joined by two of Australia's most respected microcap fund managers in Alexandra Clark and David Keelan from Elliston Capital. They run a microcap fund. Prior to joining Elliston, Alexandra worked as a lead analyst at Morgan's, where she was responsible for in-depth research. David uh, joined Elliston as a dealer in 2008, so he's a bit of a veteran there, 12 years, and transitioned into an analyst role within the small caps team. And now Alex and David are both responsible for the microcap fund. So welcome, guys. Really looking forward to chatting to you today. Thanks. And nice to meet you, Henry. Um, first of all, guys, it'd be great if you could just tell us a little bit about your fund and uh, how much money it runs at the moment. Yep. Hey, Henry, uh, our fund is around 100, 110 million, depending on the day. We are a garb style um, managers, meaning that we don't, we try not to have a style bias. We're happy in value, we're happy in growth. We just tend to have more of a sector bias. So we don't do resources, we don't do kind of cannabis, and we don't do this bit of the end of med tech. We do do a bit of tech, but we do do a bit more of the later stage stuff that, that has got. Um, you know, ARR above ten million dollars. Okay. So, um, what sort of companies? Um, I, I know you talk about ones that you've got some sort of uh, ARR and a bit later stage. What sort of companies have you been looking at recently for the fund? Yeah. Okay. Uh, one we participated in um, in a cap raising, and we bought a fair bit more on market is a New Zealand company called Ike GPS. So Ike has its prime listing in New Zealand and its secondary listing in Australia. Um, it's probably the only way we've found to play the 5G rollout in the US. So Ike has announced that they have signed a contract with one of the largest telco asset owners in the US. They've not named the clients as of yet. So um, the, the Ike platform holds all the infrastructure assets, all, um, um, all the cell towers, all the small cells, um, and how holds all the information. So for all the field service providers, the hundreds and hundreds of companies that work on these different assets, everyone needs a one um, a one sense of truth. So Ike is like a combination between a near map and index. So people pay to um, be on the platform, and then every time someone has to look at an asset, they pay per transaction charge. So we look at Ike and it's got about 120 mil market cap. It's got 20 of cash, so 100 EV. Last year it did 10 of revenue. Um, it gave a good AGM update out last week. So the revenue for the quarter is running over 3 mil. They think that addressable market's around $200 million of revenue per annum, that says in the presentation. So they're really at the start of this big 5G rollout. And I think the telcos, NASA owners are looking to find the most effective way to get it done. Now, the big thing that I does done, that big thing that I does do, it reduces the permitting risk and the permitting time when they're putting up these new towers and new small cells. So we think really powerful. No one really knows about it. It's got an amazing register, all full of um, great telco investors from Australia, New Zealand, and from San Francisco as well. Completely under the radar. And, and do you try and meet the management of these guys? I mean, it, it, it is, as you say, very much under the radar on a lot of these companies that you look at and I look at as well. They're not very well covered by uh, brokers. So is it imperative for you to meet the management or is that something that's just a luxury sometimes? Well, I think it's crucial to meet the management team. So at the end of the day, you're investing in people at the size of the market cap range and um, you're looking for normally what we like as founder-led businesses or people that have a huge amount of skin in the game. 
And so what that means is um, that when you get to sit down with the management team, you actually get to see what they're focused on. So you might have a perception of what they put out in their releases, things like that. But when you actually sit down and you go out to their factories or their manufacturing facilities or their headquarters, you can actually see what sort of management team they are. That are they there to spend a lot on um, corporate capex? So are the officers flash? Um, are they going to be overspenders in the rest of what they do or are they sort of um, working off the smell of the oily rag and therefore every incremental dollar is going to go back into the business? Uh, so I say in outside of COVID, Alex and I spend a third of our time on planes, running around on cheap flights um, around the country and um, trying to see as much as we can. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty hard with COVID. So, you know, we've got Zoom, we've got WebEx, we've got Blue Jeans, we've got... Teams, we've got FaceTime, we've got WhatsApp, we've got about 10 different different uh, platforms to contact people. But I think everybody's adapted very well to the current environment and so it means that while we're not uh, actually testing the shoe leather at the moment, we are staying in touch with not only companies that we've invested in but also a range of companies that we're doing due diligence on at the moment and catching up with other companies that we've been invested in in the past and in the current environment, they look attractive again. So Ike, for example, we've known Ike for five years, but they've but they've kind of pivoted the last kind of three. So it's one that we've known and we it's very rarely that we'll invest in a new company that we've never heard of. Generally, we've been looking at the company for numerous years. We've met the management numerous times and then we've trying to pick that right point to invest our dollar. And, and how do you guys come across the, uh, the, the stocks that you invest in? Are, are you constantly scouring the market, looking at announcements? And, or what, for, for a retail punter that um, follows small caps and micro caps, what advice can you give them in terms of identifying situations which are potentially very profitable? A bill for us that we get every Monday and it, um, it, it's kind of a smart base screen. We use that one. Alex's, Alex's email is really unusual because Alex Alex has alerts on every ASX announcement that comes through. So her email account is, is pretty fun. And then we just speak to people in the know. We we, we just try and, yeah, it, it's... It's the amount, I think for smalls and micros, it's a hell of a lot of reading. So you'll, I like having all the alerts in my inbox that so will give other people headaches. But um, we also, I also find that when I, I can skim through the headlines pretty quickly and see what interests me, what doesn't. And I think what happens is businesses change a lot at the smaller end of the market. And so it's always keeping a lookout for that. And I think longer term that um, we're very fortunate at Alliston because we do have a big network. The Alliston has a, a, a very good brand at the micro end of the market. And so um, we get alerted to um, sort of changing situations and um, it allows us to um, make sure that we're on top of everything. Also, another string to our bow is our unlisted side of the business. So we look at things that are pre-IPO, so that last lick of capital before they start to float. And so it means that we're talking to a lot of unlisted competitors to the listed peers. And I think that gives us a bit of an edge in knowing what's going on in the industry. Like things do change. Um, we're substantial in Betmakers, which is a data service provider for the gaming industry in Australia, the US, and the UK. And one day we just in there, and Alex was like, "Oh, I think Betmakers always top better. I think top better's just done something pretty material." And this is when they had signed the agreement with GBC, which is a global agreement. Um, and that was not. And then we were like, "Oh, we better do some work there." So it's just, it's not like if we look at a large cap. A large-cap analyst, a large-cap fund manager on the buy side, you know, they'll know 20, 30 stocks really, really well. Alex and I, between us, will know 200 stocks pretty well. We have 500 models in our databases. We we go back, we update when we need to. 
And I think also we have, David and I have both been in the industry for a very long time and so having corporate memory is very useful in the space. I think that's something. It's, um, it's always great to have that depth of experience and you guys obviously have got that. When you look at a sector like Buy Now, Pay Later, which has been very uh, popular to say the least and it's been kind of the zeitgeist of the consumer and certainly millennial consumer, are there any stocks in that space that you've been looking at or invested in or, or you've done some work on that attracted your attention? We try and stay away from the crowd of space and it, and it is a crowd of space and we, we, for us it gets to a point where are we playing a beta trade or are we playing alpha trade and we always want to make sure that we are playing the alpha trade we are looking for um, companies that have their own catalyst rather than just the whole sector going up at one time it's 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 just not our style we, we want things we want to be the first or the second person in an investment we want to know better than everyone else and we want to really um, capture the upside rather than just play a whole sector at a point in time. But I think, though, we've spent a lot of time looking at the space, so I would have spent a couple of weeks actually over in the US meeting every listed and unlisted player, including the, the um, Squares, MasterCards, Visas, etc., as well as sort of the Klarna's, QuadPay's, um, Splitters, the listed guys here and the US equivalents. And I think what we came to the conclusion was that at our end, our fund um, is three years old and um, Afterpay was far too big by the time that the, the company came through and um, we weren't allowed to own it because of the, the size of the market cap. And I think we've got a strong preference to own the number one in the space and I think Afterpay probably has the, the market-leading position that each of the other players have their, their quirks and have their, their pros and cons in the space. But I think um, at the end of the day, from the style that we like to invest, we'd prefer to actually own the, the bigger beast, which we can't technically own. No, fair enough. Um, so any other sectors out there at the moment that you're really interested in? You've obviously spoken about uh, 5G in the US. Uh, anything else that uh, you're looking at thinking, hey, this could be the next big thing, especially uh, seeing as we've had so many disruptions, I guess, to normal business in 2020 due to either COVID's bushfires or the recession. Any that you see emerging from this and, and being a 2021 story we think that testing is 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 really changing at the moment um, I was quoted in the AFR today Alex and I have invested in an unlisted business called Lemos which does a variety of testing things one of the main things it does is um, a device called Febridex basically in five minutes it can tell you if it's a viral or a bacterial infection it's rolling out across the UK Germany and hopefully FDA but there's one list of play that we really like and that we've done well out of, uh, we're pretty happy on the business, is, is Atomo Diagnostics. Ticket is AT1. AT1 started off as a HIV testing business. Now, it's not the test itself. It is the device. It's a lateral blood flow device, which is it's an all-encompassing unit. Um, if you have a think of a, um, a diabetes um, prick test, it's a bit similar to that, but it's all in one. Um, so a lot of the testing kits you get at the moment is you take a bit of blood, you mix a bit of solution and you push it around. With HIV, the failure rate of self-administration was around 30% and practitioner failure rates was around kind of 10 to 15. So this device came a cropper. It was backed by the Global Health Fund. The Global Health Fund is backed by the Gates Foundation. So it's got an amazing, amazing um, pedigree and it was big in HIV, long-term contract 
that's coming through with myelin, 40% of the world education market, and then COVID came along. We listed the business on the 26th of April. They've been flung into COVID testing. Um, they're one of the best solutions out there for testers access bio. They're listed in Korea. They've gone up tenfold maybe. Uh, yeah, and and um, they so they've gone with NG Biotech in Europe and Access Bio for Europe and Australia, and they can do a point of care test. So this is a device that clicks on your finger, you get a, um, a notification in five minutes. They're doing both antibody and antigen. Uh, really super quality company. Now, the great thing is, it's not just a COVID play. Start of HIV still bubbling in the background. Um, the, yeah. They do pregnancy. So if you, if a lady's in a car crash, before they have an MRI scan, they've got to have a pregnancy test. This can give the results within five minutes. Um, they're going into prostate. Um, you know, there's many different forms they're going into. So they're agnostic, actually, what the test strip gets put in them. So they they build the device. And so when we say we don't like biotechs and things like that, we, we like device companies with contracts because we like cash flow. And we can see how the cash flow comes through. With um, AT1, the, the fact is that they can sell their device to anybody who has a test strip. So it's up to, the, up to um, other people to develop what they want tested, whether it's HIV, COVID, pregnancy tests, etc. And so from our point of view, it's a low-risk play into many different um, markets and it provides a bit of stability in our portfolio because it's hard to find um, good healthcare plays at our market cap. It's, it's got really good, really good management, great board, great backers. Uh, we are substantial in that name, so you know we're, we're there and... The EV is pretty cheap for what it does, and we can see it being cash flow break even positive at some point in, the, in this balance sheet already. Excellent. Well, that's uh, that's certainly an interesting one, and it's actually one that I've uh, talked about in the past as well. I've quite liked that stock too, so um, it's pretty good. I also used to uh, follow EMV as well. That was uh, quite an interesting one with this sort of a motorbike helmet that uh, that diagnosed stroke patients and, and brain injuries, which I thought was really interesting. Saw them present uh, a couple of years ago. The interesting thing with Lumos, they've just got a prep. Going for their Febridex test, they use the Atomo. Um, they use the Atomo um, device. It's really good. We, if you go on YouTube for Lumos, you can actually see the doctors that are reviewing the, the Febridex device, device. And in the UK, there's a real issue with overprescription of antibiotics um, and the cost of the health service. So you know, you, NHS paying cash thirty pounds per subscription, and if they spend seven pounds up front, then they can save themselves at the same time um, stop over prescription. Of, um, of complex medicines. Um, it's certainly a, an interesting space, I think, in the medical device at the moment. And there's a lot of emerging, really good technology coming out of Australia too, which is fantastic. Um, looking at the um, the ASX now, I know you guys aren't index huggers or anything like that because you're in small caps and, and mid caps. But clearly the uh, the ASX 200 and the market sentiment can have a, a, a massive effect on uh, confidence. And a lot of these companies that you invest in have got a certain amount of confidence factor into the uh, the stock price where do, where do you see we're entering kind of the riskiest quarter I guess with US election etc and even Brexit which will be close to your heart I'm sure David um, in the next quarter where, where do you see the uh, the ASX and the risks going forward and, and how with a small cap portfolio on cap do you kind of mitigate some of those risks I think um, as you said the, the next quarter is going to be volatile I think and the fact that um, until we see clarity around um, US presidential elections I think that's going to be um, something the market's going to be keeping front of mind as well as 
um, US liquidity as well. So from our point of view, we're bottom-up stock pickers. So we're looking for, for stocks that have their own catalyst that hopefully can weather the um, broader market volatility. But I think also volatility, volatility picks up opportunities for us. So if we can see a stock that's indiscriminately sold off, that allows us to enter a stock at a much more attractive valuation proposition. I think the other thing to note in the next quarter is AGM season. And in previous years, AGM season wasn't nearly as important. With COVID, I think we're going to see a lot more trading updates coming forward. So at the end of August, a lot of companies weren't in the position to provide guidance. And a lot of them reflected on the fact that they, they would be able to provide something at August. Uh, so, sorry, something in um, the AGM. And we've seen it today with Baby Bunting reporting its AGM commentary, provided a first quarter trading update. While it did provide four-year guidance, it was um, something for the market to, to look forward to. And so I think with those catalysts, I think that's going to help us at the smaller end of the market because we can upweight and downweight our portfolio into what we hope to be good catalysts going forward in the next quarter. Um, and when you're looking at uh, your, your bottom-up performance and, and, and the things that you're looking for, do you take into account the technicals of a stock or is it purely a fundamental-driven uh, investment thesis? I started off in 2008 at Elliston as a trader and I was working nice trading options. So my first love was technicals before I went down the CFA route etc etc so yeah and um, for me the technicals show the psych the psychology of the of the people that own the stock so you've got a micro cap and it's owned by four people institutional wise and how they trade that stock shows you what's happening if they care about a certain price if it's got a six handle or seven handle when the seller's finished especially in our place when the seller's finished it, it, it's very very useful so Alex and I like to trade around the edges. We always see buying opportunities in our stock. So when they run a bit hard, we may let five, seven percent of the position go because we, we know we're going to be able to kind of buy it back um, at a lower price. And that's why the big thing Alex and I are going to do for our micro fund is make sure it has the right level of capacity and not go too big. Keep it small and we can be nimble and we can keep on producing numbers. Well, thanks, guys. Um, finally, just I wonder if you could just run through the performance of the fund, give it a bit of a plug um, for our members, uh, those that are considering uh, um, a small cap or cap fund. We've been going for probably three and a bit years. The fund has done post fees over 24% per annum, where the market's done around 8 so we're kind of 16% over. Our volatility versus the peer group is probably the best, if not one of the best. So we really do, we are looking at the alpha position um, and not just a pure kind of beta play. We believe alpha comes in waves and Alex and I describe ourselves kind of meat and potato investors. We do like them, all things like cash flow. <laughs> um, it has to come eventually and and not on the promise. Liquidity is extremely important for us. And how many stocks do you tend to hold in your um, your small cap portfolio? We've got around 40 stocks, but we look at our conviction levels. We want our top 10 to be around that high 30% of the funds. Our top 20 to be around that kind of 55. So we make our money in our conviction names. And that's always the way. But what we like to do is we'll take a core position and then, then we will scale that position up when we feel it is the right time and then bring it back down again when we've captured the alpha. Sounds good, guys. Um, really enjoyed having you on the uh, the podcast today. Thank you very, very much for your time. It's always a pleasure to talk to some real pros in the industry and guys that uh, are following the small caps and the mid caps as I do and, and some of our members do. So really do appreciate your time. Thanks very much for coming on the show and uh, good luck with an upcoming AGM season, which I think will be an interesting time as you say, Alex. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks, Henry. Have a nice day. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.